Thank you for joining us on the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. I'm your host, Matt. And just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at BallisticFooty. You can email us at BallisticFootball at gmail.com, or you can drop us a line at 317-762-1644. I'm joined this evening with my good buddy, Jesse. Jesse, how's your weekend? Not too bad. Not too bad. I got to go see the uh, the Vikings play the Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> different kind I of football, saw, but <laughs> I saw a lot of. Uh, actually, I think it was Men and Blazers doing some comparisons between maybe them and uh, well, as West Ham because yes. uh, they were talking about uh, Mark Noble. And yes, how he probably would have been just as good uh, trying that game-winning field goal. So, yeah, they were they were drawing the comparison between Blair Walsh and Mark Noble. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it was a uh, packed weekend for football, and I'm glad we're on here chatting. I was just trying to install a dishwasher, and uh, <laughs> before I broke a brand new dishwasher, I figured it was probably a good time to take a break and uh, talk the games we saw this weekend. A lot of good action this weekend. Um some pretty decisive wins. What better way to kick this episode off than talking and getting feedback from a, a true Liverpool fan? So what do you think of their game over the weekend? I started off having a little bit of uh, reservation about the amount of squad rotation, starting an entire new back line. I don't believe that was necessarily the intention. Um, Trent was... Was a, I think he was just a scratch earlier in the day due to illness. But it was the result did not did not reflect the game itself. The 3-0 was was not what that game looked like on the field. Uh it was it was much, much closer than that. Do you think Liverpool played poorly? I I don't. I think Palace is not terrible. Um I think, I think the rotation definitely took a little bit of time to, you know, kind of get people uh, working together. Uh, and then, I, I mean, it really could have been could have been a lot more than than three if Diogo Jota could have put anything into the net. But he probably missed at least one sitter, if not if not two, really decent goal scoring opportunities. But I mean, they had a fight. They had a, they had a scrap for that three zero, so I, I'm happy uh, as a as a supporter. I'm happy with the rest and the rotation that the players got. That they were still able to to win. And I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't unconvincing. Uh, it just it didn't look like a three zero for good stretches of that match. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I I do I do think that Klopp might be might be just trying to be uh, a little proactive on the on the rotation. So I, I like it. I like seeing that. One of the things I meant to ask you uh, last episode while you were on was uh, we had talked about this on a previous episode, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think that, you know, it was kind of noticeable that Liverpool wasn't very active during this past summer transfer window? I mean, there were no, there were no like, high lo- high name you know, high level signings. Do you feel like they missed out on anything, or do you think that was that was a conscious decision on Klopp's part to kind of sit with what he has? And to be fair to him, I mean they're they're performing pretty well overall, so it's not certainly not a criticism. But just curious what your thoughts were. It's it's hard to say that they didn't miss out. I don't think that they're their transfer philosophy is to fill a need so much as it is to to find the the players that they want uh and bring those players in so i mean definitely you want to fill the need and and i'm not saying that they that they only just target whatever player that they want that that would be crazy i think that i think that they just they're comfortable with where they're at they are comfortable with their depth and so is it the deepest team in the prem? No, I mean it's far from it. Uh, I think that that it's more important to them though that they keep the culture, that they keep uh, the foundation that they have, and just bring in the right players at the right time, 
it's hard to argue with. They've they've been performing pretty well. Last season was uh, kind of kind of an outlier for any team with their yeah. the injuries that they had. So uh, even with that, I mean, third in the league. I I I don't think that as a supporter you can be too critical until until we see you know we see a relatively healthy season and underperformance which we haven't seen yet so they uh had a bit of a comeback win uh this past week against AC Milan so um kicked off their their Champions League and I think uh, it's not something I I was actually able to watch when I was live but I heard it things kind of started off shaky but they they kind of came together towards the end and were able to squeeze out a win. Yeah, they kind of just turned off a little bit at the end of the first half. And I think that's just down to, again, some of the rotation that they had. It really seems like that's that they're they're gearing up for, you know, after Christmas. The yeah. that stretch after Christmas where everything is intense and, and making sure that people are, are still fresh. So I yeah. think that I think that even that was just down to not having good leadership on the field uh, at the end of the first half. Well, speaking of Champions League uh, action, <laughs> a disappointing win for uh, Manchester United, or a disappointing loss, I should say. Ronaldo continued his uh, his streak of goal scoring, but it was a Jordan Pivot goal in the 90th minute that uh, helped seal that for Young Boys. As a United fan. I got to watch good chunks of the game, uh, actually, <laughs> over lunch, and it was pretty lackluster. And it, ironically, you know, I talked about it in our previous episode about is this whole Ronaldo thing just kind of a, I guess, for lack of a better word, a flash in the pan, you know, kind of give gave him a boost. I mean, they had that decisive win against Newcastle, but, you know, Newcastle's not the greatest team right now, and... Uh, you know, props to young boys for squeezing out the win. I'm conflicted because it was nice to see a, an American score score a goal. But then they went in to the weekend, and you know they they ended up getting um, a two one win over over West Ham, which I kind of uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's they did not look super stellar uh, again. Ronaldo played well, ended up scoring kind of a garbage goal. But uh, ironically, Jesse Lingard ended up being the hero of that match after coming back on loan from West Ham. I, I would say a bright spot in the performance is, is Jesse. Jesse's had two um, really solid games. He came on in Newcastle, scored a really nice goal, and then uh, scored in this one. And I think that's good for him because... Uh, going on loan to West Ham, there was a lot of questions about his long-term viability with the club, and I think that really gave him an opportunity. And I think it really helps when you have a coach and fans that that support you, and I think that helped really regain his confidence back. But I, I'm just a little concerned in general that it was just a little bit of, hey, we got Ronaldo back, this is awesome, and now they got to kind of settle in and figure out where they stand. And I don't know that Jaden Sancho's looked great um, so far. Pretty mediocre. Fred did not play particularly well. Uh, again, that's that's the one area where I feel like we're, we still continue to struggle. But um, there was some talk after the Young Boys lost that some fans wanting Ollie uh, canned. And I just think that's kind of funny i think it's a little too early to to make that suggestion but you hear people talking about well zidane said if he you know when he comes back to coach he wants to coach for united and i think that's kind of um people are are scratching their heads wondering what it would be like (laughs) with him so that's kind of my my take i think they have a ways to go but you know obviously did you see anything from from either of those matches or, you know, I don't know if you watched either of them, but even kind of the high level summaries and. Yeah. So I, I think Ole is just kind of along for the ride, to be honest. Uh, that, that is a club that is led by Ronaldo. He's 
definitely bigger than the club at this point. He is the club. Ronaldo is the club. And his performances kind of uh, justify that. <laughs> I I think that I think that midweek was down to complacency. The team that they fielded should not have struggled against young boys. Nah. Uh, yeah. I, so I think that was just down to complacency. I think part of that is leadership. I think part of that is part of that is tactics. But I mean, even even then, I, they they didn't look like they were struggling. You know, the, the young boys didn't didn't seem like they they had they didn't really seem like they had their footing underneath them. Uh, yeah. So I don't I don't know. Other than you know those those crazy European nights, I, I don't know how else you can <laughs> describe that. You know, they just they just capitalized when they could, and United didn't. Yeah, and I think it's t- to be fair to them too. You know, I think playing midweek is. Uh, quite a bit different. You know, you hear guys talk about they kind of get conditioned to play in a certain time of day or a certain day of the week. And I think your body does kind of get into sync with, you know, performing at certain times of day. And when you're kind of jolted out of that regular schedule into something a little bit different, even if the manager's training them, you know, for a particular time of day, particular day of the week, uh, try and, you know, that I can remember playing our, our coaches always talked about wanting to get us kind of peaked at the right time. So we were a top performance when we went to play in a match. But even then, the fact of the matter is some guys are just feel better and more natural playing at certain times and days of the week. And I think sometimes these midweek Champions League games can can kind of change that and add a, a different layer to it that they may not otherwise be be used to. So you know, it could be just the just getting adjusted to, back to, to Champions League football. I think they they still have a lot of games left, but we don't we don't obviously want to become too complacent and then have to scramble at the end. You always hear teams and players and coaches talk about the uh, the the hangover that you'll have from really emotional games. Yeah. And that's what Newcastle was for United. Regardless of whether or not it was a difficult game, regardless of whether or not it was a difficult opponent, that was still an incredibly emotional game. Every single player on that field was, you know, carried by nonstop screaming, basically, the entire game. I wouldn't even call <laughs> yeah. it, like, cheering or, or singing. It was screaming. Like, it was, it was, I'm sure, a very electric type of game. Uh, type of match to to be a part of and so then to turn around and and just you know that emotional hangover yeah going into the next game i'm sure that led to some of the complacency yeah Uh, elsewhere in the league chelsea had a pretty uh, a very strong performance against tottenham you know they it was pretty even first half but then it's like chelsea popped a top off that champagne bottle and just scored uh Three, three pretty nice goals. I'm a, I'm kind of a Thiago Silva fan, so it was, it was cool to see him score. I never looked up to really see how he was. 37 years old. I mean, you know, good, good all overall performance from him. He dominated. Yeah, yeah, he dominated. And I think that that was a good pickup for them. I think he's really helped bring some, uh, some solid play and consistency to them. So they uh they just look like a really strong strong club kind of as a United fan what you hate to see in Chelsea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause you don't want to have to play against them. But yeah. so so across the top four I think it's uh, you know I think the consensus is is pretty unanimous that you have City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United across the top four. Uh who who are you most concerned about? So obviously you know, you're gonna you're looking at United. Who are you most concerned about out of those other three? You know, it's, hmm, that's that's a good question. I think, to be quite honest, um, City's probably the one for me right now, and I know they haven't looked good, but 
part of it is I just Pep is such a consistent manager and you know they have they have a high quality group of players and I think once they kind of find their stride they are absolutely terrible to deal with as an opponent and so that's kind of my I think right now they're definitely you know at the bottom of that list of of teams you just mentioned but like you said at post Christmas uh, look out and I think they'll they'll keep you know their position overall in the league and kind of just fly probably a little under the radar from a top four standpoint but then I feel like they'll just turn on afterburners and then they'll be tough to deal with. Team, I guess teams I love to hate are City and Chelsea. So um, <laughs> I never like seeing them do well. And as a United fan, people would hate that I I don't mind seeing Liverpool uh, do pretty well. I like Jurgen Klopp. I've said that before. Uh, Arsenal's a non-factor <laughs> for me. Yeah. I've yeah. kind of, I mean... As bad as it may sound, even after they won again this weekend, I mean... It's it's fun to root for the underdog. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And the other thing, too, is as you guys are probably sick of, of uh, me talking about it in, our, in the Discord we're members of, but so I picked up that book, uh, The Expected Goal Philosophy, over the weekend. Uh, yeah. That book, I'm kind of a data and analytics type person, and I love the money ball concept, so it was really, really, really interesting um, in that book they talk about a concept called the justice table and it's basically there's a way that they calculate expected points versus what points were actually uh, obtained through matches and they just published their first one i think it was this morning as a matter of fact and city's actually at the top of it so uh, despite them i think they have 10 points right now that expected points model says that they should have 13 so I do think that there's some some merit in the analytics side of it, and so, and they have a lot of players that can contribute a lot. I don't know. That's kind of who scares me because I think they're just kind of laying low, and I think will shoot up and be something to reckon with later on in the season. City's a team that can that can rattle off 25 unbeaten without without struggling at all. Uh, they just they have depth. Uh, I th- the the most glaring issue I see with City, and one of the things I think they're going to struggle with and and potentially grow frustrated with as a team is lacking that true striker. Yeah, I see, I see that being uh, something where when they do have to grind out these these games like they did against Southampton, I see that being being something that that kind of rattles the team as a whole, but you know, next, next week they'll turn around and, and beat somebody seven Oh and right. It, it won't, it won't matter, but it's, yeah. And that's, they did, they did, uh, that was not a great result for them this past weekend either. Uh, that nail, nil draw. And then <laughs> Raheem Sterling with the disallowed goal due to VAR in the, in the 90th minute. Right. We talked a little bit about this. What are, what are your thoughts on VAR? You know, you hear it, and the context behind that is there's like, it's a very polarizing topic, I think. Um, right. And the majority of what I hear, and maybe I'm just looking for opponents of it, is people don't like it. And I, I'm kind of, I don't agree with that, that thought. <laughs> I, I, I support it, but I think there's areas that could be improved. I think people don't like it because they can see now exactly what's happening. Like like you could before, you could see what was happening. You have the replay, but you understand that the ref does not have that replay. And so you're you know, criticizing the referee for making a, a terrible call in hindsight. Right. Hindsight is no more. That That's not something that only the fan is privileged to. It's something that everybody has. And yet we still see calls that are inexplicable. And I think that this week is a really, really good week for it. You have the handball in the lesser game that was awarded as a penalty. The defender goes down, uh, handles the ball, but that's because his arm is literally being grappled by another player. Like, he can't do anything about that. Right. Any, 
any common sense should dictate that that's not a penalty. But because of the air, they award it as a penalty. And then they have the two offside goals disallowed. Uh, one seemed like it was probably the right call. The other one seemed maybe it was the right call. Uh, it seemed really harsh. Really, really harsh. I have a hard time uh, thinking that that was the right call. And that's something that, again, like, they can watch the replay. So can we. Right. And, you know, not having a dog in the fight, I look at that and I I think, how how can you possibly say that that was interference? The, the, the goalie can see in the periphery of the player, but that's not blocking the ball. He's not going after the ball. Uh, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Now, that's just one game. But then you have... You have Neymar's penalty in in uh, the the PSG game, where mm-hmm. it seemed like Neymar was definitely the uh, the the person guilty of committing the foul, and yeah. you, you know he's a little theatric and is going down something he does very very well, and he gets the penalty. I'm sure United supporters are throwing you know their hands in the air, questioning how they don't get at least two penalties, and. And this is this is something that I do want to ask you about later. This isn't VAR related, but just more direction of the game, uh, specifically those two penalties in the Man U game. But I don't I don't know how how at least one of those in the Man U game is not awarded as a penalty. Like you yeah. pick one of those two, and if you're VAR, I, I don't know how you don't say. Because they're, they're both different. They both occur in different aspects. Like in the first one, Ronaldo goes into the contact. Like he creates the contact, but but there is contact. In the second one, he's going down just a smidge early before the contact. Yeah. But the contact was inevitable. So the question the question that I have is if if you're saying that he create like he created the contact in the first one and so that's why it's not a penalty. But then he avoided the con- he didn't avoid but he the contact was inevitable in the second one and he just tried to avoid it and you're not going to give the penalty. Like it just it doesn't seem like it's consistent. It doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm okay with neither of them being called because you know it's, <laughs> it's united but from a from right. a state of the game perspective I think that's an entirely another conversation that I do want to get into. Well, and I think on on that topic, you know, I the uh, there I know there's some questions around whether Luke Shaw's handball was a was a handball. No question in my mind it was. <laughs> you, I don't even if you jump up in your hands like that, it's it is making you bigger and right. I've heard the I've heard the rules interpreted twenty billion different ways, and I, to be quite honest, I need to just go read them myself because when I think I understand them, then I don't. But my argument would be any time that a player's hands are not by their body and they make themselves bigger, you know, from a surface area standpoint, and then it uh, it impedes the progress of the ball. <laughs> that is a handball. I I. D- yeah, I don't think that anybody can call the position of the arms in that situation natural. And yeah. and if you're going to make the argument that, oh, well, it was just too close to the ball, he didn't have time to react. Well, then as a defender, what I am doing every time that I close down somebody is I'm getting into a position where my arms are out and down low. I am blocking everything I can with my hands because if I'm within two yards of the of the attacker – then it's too close for me to move. And so it doesn't matter if my arms are stretched out just a little bit, I can still get away with that, you know? Right. And so it, it's obviously he's not, he's not reaching out to try and block, but he is extending his, his body to a point where it's, it's just unnatural. Um, to the, to the other United potential PKs. I actually thought the first one that you mentioned where uh, Ronaldo basically made the contact I actually would have awarded, probably awarded a penalty in that case, and not the the one towards the end of the game, On the because opposite. I felt like when even though he made the contact on that first one, there was no way he was getting to the ball. There was no like the the defender was in his way, and as soon as he went to step, yeah, he he made a point to 
make contact with him, but there was no way he was going to be able to follow up and maintain possession of that ball. On the one towards the end of the game, you see very clearly in the replay, he left one foot behind to really sell that fall. And I can at least, I can empathize a little bit with the referee, but the thing that frustrates me is the inconsistency in what's reviewed by VAR and what's not. You know, and both those situations didn't need, there was no review of either of them. And the other thing too is, I know full well that the ref at that point in the game was probably sick and tired of Ronaldo falling down, asking for everything. And so that starts to play into, you know, we're all human, you know. Right. You can try to be as objective as you want, but at the end of the day, that's something that's a factor. And honestly, to me, that's one of the reasons VAR exists is because you want to take that subjectivity out of it that's just inherent in human nature. And, you know, like I alluded to, I'm a huge fan of of VAR. And part of the reason is, is because when games are decided by a goal, it is a way to maintain the integrity of the results in those situations. Now, with that being said, do I think some of the rules are crappy and they need to be changed because now we're in a, a VAR environment? Absolutely. Offsides is one that drives me insane. I don't care if the guy has an arm past the last defender. If his torso's past it, yes, he has a material advantage. But a guy's not going to swim past, you know, grab an air and gain, a, gain an advantage. And the stupid stuff like, oh, let's, uh, let's thicken the line. No, just change the freaking rule. Like, I, that, that kind of stuff. The line thickens for everybody. It thickens (laughs) for everybody. Like, (laughs) and so I, I certainly understand the people that are, that are frustrated by it, but I think they're frustrated at the wrong thing. And, you know, and the people that are like, well, it, it interrupts the flow of play. And, you know, if a guy scores, he never knows whether or not he can accelerate. That is a bunch of crap. That was always that way because every single player would look over to the linesman to make sure they weren't offsides. And guess what? When There were players who would celebrate and then realize they were offsides after the fact. So, you know, one of the other things we talked a little bit about last week, and I don't think it was on kind of on air, quote unquote, but we talked about the Liverpool game and how the situation now, and I had heard somebody say that it had changed, but I'm, I'm not sure that it has. Basically, the linesmen have stopped calling offsides at the moment they believe that offsides has occurred. And part of that's intentional because they want to let the play play out because it's VAR can review it. And to me, I, you know, I understand that. The challenge you run into with that, and I think is another area that probably needs to be looked at, is there was one particular instance in that Liverpool game. I'm not talking this week. I'm talking last week. Where... Salah was clearly offsides. He came back from an offside position. Ref did not put his flag up. That play played through and almost resulted in a pretty decent injury to to one or two of the players that went into the challenge. And there was a lot of criticism from the commentators that, well, he should have put his flag up. I mean, there's no doubt that he was offsides. I can kind of understand that because you let the ball, you let it play through and it results in an injury when you should have called it. I, I don't know, but then you're kind of back to subjective on what's an obvious <laughs> offsides play and what's not. So right, and that's it, the. I think my problem with it is if the official is going to let the let the play continue, if the if the linesman is going to let the play continue, go all the way through until you know the player touches the ball, passes the ball, something else happens, and then throw the flag up. That's where I feel like that's where I feel like it's gone too far. Like if you can get through all of that stuff and then be confident that it was in fact offside and so then you're going to throw the flag up, I feel like okay, <laughs> right. you you probably should have done it from the start. Yeah. It's it, they're never going to win in that situation though. There's always going to be the chance that they deny a goal. There's always going to be the chance that somebody gets injured. You're going to have people upset either side. And so, you know, you take the one that that you feel is less harmful. And, uh, I mean, I feel like 
quite literally that's preventing injury. So, I mean, I, I would, I would say, yeah, let's err on the side of, of being more cautious in that case, throw the flag up. Let's not have a Jordan Pickford tackle on Virgil van Dyke in you know, a season ending injury. I, I personally would really prefer that, that, uh, that people stay playing the game. Yeah. One of the things too, is that we, we talked about this too. I think our thought was when VAR was implemented that referees would feel empowered that they have something to back them up. And instead, I think what it's become is I don't ever want to be wrong. You know, it's it, I'm going to be embarrassed if I call something and then VAR turns out to make it something that I different than what I called. And so that like dynamic, I think, has added this layer of complexity to it where the purpose behind creating VAR was to help referees not make them feel inferior. But I think for some, that's that's what it's become. And so, I don't know. It's <laughs> a lot. I don't... I, I, I feel like the referee doesn't have any boldness anymore. There's There's... I mean, everything gets questioned as it is. Like, it always has. Uh, match of the day would always cover referee errors. Like, they would always show bad calls. So I, I don't understand why, why having VR to fall back on would take away any of that, that confidence, that boldness in making a big call instead of letting it play out, waiting for somebody to, to tell you near, oh, hey, but, by the way, you should probably go back and look at this tackle. That was a red card. Like, right. call what you see. That's, that's your job is to call what you see. And when you're not calling anything you're waiting on somebody else to always tell you what you what you saw i mean it takes to me it it i don't know i lose some of the some of the respect for for some of the referees when they when they see like a penalty right in front of them and they won't blow the whistle they'll wait until the ball goes out of play they'll you know listen to it there and then they'll make the call make the call make the call if you if you see it make the call and i feel like that happens a lot and I, I don't know. It's just like, I guess like we talked about, it was just one of those things that it's there to support the referees. And instead it doesn't feel like it's, it's supporting or backing them up. It feels like it is, it is their tool. Like that is the only thing that they use now that that's their crutch. It's not just, it's not just that supplement. It is, yeah. it is their crutch. Well, It's like, if that's going to be your approach, then let's just like hire four people to look at cameras all the time. And then, you know, take, take people off the field completely and then we'll just have a whistle blow over the PA system when, you know, those, <laughs> I mean, right. It's kind of getting, uh, that's an extreme. I don't, I don't think that's realistic, but that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> you say that, but it's probably only a matter of time until something like that yeah. is exactly what happens. It'll come the same time that, that the players start wearing mics in their, in their shirts. <laughs> One of the things I completely breezed over uh, in the United game was uh, David De Gea had an awesome PK stop. And uh, but the other thing, too, is why on earth? And it, this is kind of a long similar note. Was, was Noble up to sub in before that whole thing happened? Or did they put him up to the line in the middle? of? See, that I don't understand that. Like, that seems cheap. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. we were talking about the whole ball don't lie. Yeah. Uh, it, like, you throw a guy up on the line and then send him in to, to kick a PK. I don't know. that. The, like I said, I think the PK was absolutely the right call. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. But the I'm going to line a guy up, send him in. Yeah. If, if Noble converts, then this isn't a conversation you know but even before that was taken that's one of those that i wouldn't feel good about i know that i wouldn't want to be sitting on the bench for 90 minutes (laughs) you know legs stiffen up and especially for noble he's you know he's i i know how it feels to be sitting down for 90 minutes and trying to get (laughs) up those knees don't feel good so i know that he didn't get up and just go yeah let's do this i am ready to go and Sure enough, he comes in and takes a a weak penalty. It just it was not a good penalty. De Gea, uh, you know, proving this season that he's actually <laughs> capable what, of yeah, stopping that's been, the ball. That's been bizarre. Is after being very lackluster for a while, he's 
had some really solid games. So going back to the to the Ronaldo penalty shouts. So you think the first one uh, warranted a penalty? There were like three that he cried about, and the Sufal, uh, the Sufal one. Um, this the one that the one that I yeah. think was penalty worthy was he he played the ball around a defender and then went to pursue the ball and that defender stepped in his path and made contact with him. Now I think he he sold it, but there was no way he was going to cleanly get to that ball regardless. The one. The, the other one is the one I'm like, well, he kind of, you could tell, especially in the replay, like he kind of drug his feet and was like, oh, he got me. <laughs> he didn't even try to make a play on it. So the two are, I, I believe it's, I believe it's pronounced Sufal. I, I, I could be mistaken on that. Uh, it's so the Sufal incident and then the, the Kurt Zuma incident. Um, the first one is the Sufal one. And to me, that's that's the exact type of incident that I think if the Premier League refs are consistent with every other Premier League game, that's a penalty 100% of the time. I don't want to see that as a penalty in the game, period. Uh, the angle from behind shows that as soon as the defender uh, goes to make the tackle, he plays the ball to the left. And then the line that Ronaldo takes is like 30% or 30%, 30 degrees askew from the path of the ball. So the issue that I have with that is that in the VAR age, you can make that play. You can then take two steps into the path of the defender, even if it's askew from the ball, draw the contact and warrant a penalty. And, and I think that that's consistent with what the rules mm-hmm. dictate right now. And so I'm not saying that it's, it's, not a penalty. I'm saying I don't want to see that yeah. as a penalty. Because to me, he's not trying to play the game. He's, I mean, he is playing the game in a manipulative way, not in a I'm trying to put the ball into the net kind of way. And that's what I didn't like about it. So the way that I see that is if he follows the path of the ball, then he's, he's not going to draw any contact. If he were to play the ball into the same path that he then ran, he's playing the ball right into to Sufal's foot, into his leg, into his foot, mm-hmm. something. And then you have no foul. And so to me, it's, it's, it's one of those things where he's an experienced player and it's intelligent. Yeah. And yeah. I hate it <laughs> right. because it feels, it feels cheap and it yeah. feels like cheating. And I, wouldn't, I don't want to see my players do that. I don't want to, I don't want to see that in the game, period. And and so that's why I don't like the first one being considered like being called a penalty. I wouldn't want it being called a penalty. Do I think it probably should have been given consistency across the league? Yeah, probably. Uh, I wouldn't want to see that though. So your your point is kind of like the only way he gets a clean line on that ball that he plays is if he nutmegs the defender and the defender's in the way. You know, right? I would love. He, I would. Then he doesn't have. I'd love to see an that. ankle to get around. Yeah, I would love to see see that attacker try to, you know, try to do something to actually beat the defender. Mm. Some kind of skill move, something. Like if you can do that, if you can create a, a, a situation where the ball does go beyond the defender, the defender misses the tackle, and you know, you're then pursuing the ball and, and there's contact, you draw that contact, great. You know, more power to you. That's exactly why, you know, good dribblers are are desirable they they can create and when they draw you know you see you saw uh hazard do that for years yeah you know he's just quick with the ball and so it wasn't like he was playing the ball into a position he was never going to get to he was just quicker than the than the uh defender yeah well and i i think that's one thing that you know makes Messi fun to watch i think very similar you know he Messi is can be tough to take down when he wants to continue <laughs> you know, with that ball. And so I think in similar fashion and, you know, no offense, Cristiano, we know you're a big uh, fan of the show and, uh, you know, feel free to call at any time, but uh, (laughs) I I will happily uh, (laughs) debate, you know, the, the mediocre uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, But I mean, I honestly think that, that both of those could be called penalties. 
and I don't think that anybody can have too many criticisms about it. Like, yeah, you can see where where it's where it comes from. The second one, even though he's diving, I think that's a stonewall penalty. I really do because that contact is inevitable. Zuma is going to make contact. He misses the challenge, and there is going to be contact no matter what, all the way across to his left leg. I mean. Uh, and even if there's not contact, even if Ronaldo were to hurdle him or whatever, I think that that's a significant enough impediment on his progress that it warns a foul. You know, and it's it's the I think it's part of the problem with VAR is VAR says, you know, not not by the letter of the law, but by the experience that everybody has watching VAR is that if there's contact, it's a foul. If there's not contact, it's not a foul. Yeah. But that's not the rule. The rule is that if there's an attempt to make a tackle and the tackle, you know, and that that causes an impediment to the to the attacker without winning the ball, it's a foul. Yeah. Well, and the thing, the my issue with that, the one you're talking about is, if it's not a foul, it's a yellow card. Like, then he flopped, you know, <laughs> and and I guess one of the things is I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward. In terms of if if we truly want to leverage VAR to help stop players flopping, then I look at that particular situation, you know, in a, in a future state, maybe, and I say, you know what, we looked at this on VAR, you clearly made a decision you were going to go down no matter what at this point in the play, and we're not awarding you the, the foul or the PK. And, you know, but the same thing is supposed to happen with the carding and yeah uh, don't get me wrong like i'm like i said i'm a united fan i love watching cristiano ronaldo but one of two things has to happen in that situation if you feel like he just fell down to fall down then it's a yellow card if not it's a foul and it's a pk (laughs) right and uh, i guess there is a report that he was told in the game well you dove if you're gonna if you're gonna have the have the balls to walk up to Ronaldo <laughs> right. and say you dove, right. have the balls to pull out the yellow. <laughs> right. You know, just go for it, man. Yeah. Just go for it. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I hope we're early with VAR. I think over time, it's something that we, you know, leagues will come up with better ways to implement it, and you know, I think more of those rule changes will will potentially come, but. I think we're just adjusting to a new era. I really hope they don't get rid of it. I think that would be hugely detrimental. And totally agree. Totally agree. I think that they need to embrace the fact that, that VAR is not perfect. Referees are not perfect. And instead of defending almost every single call that, that referees make throughout the week, uh, that they need to be willing to say, hey, this is this is where we messed up and this is where we're actually going to try to correct the rules or correct the wording or whatever. That happens like twice a season, yeah. you know, and, and it's only something egregious, but you know that, that there's, I mean, there's VAR issues every single week. Right. So let's address it every week. Let's, 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 you know, make everybody aware that, hey, this was wrong. This is what we want to do better on or whatever. And, and the accountability needs to be, it, well, you know, there needs to be accountability to the referees, but there also needs to be an understanding that we're not ever going to get to a perfect system. Yeah. Nor should we like right. that's, I mean, I guess, I guess technically, you know, uh, ideally that would be, that would be the case, but, but it's just not going to happen. So I think, I think, uh, I think what I should be saying is we should not be expecting a perfect system. Uh, one of the things that I did make a point when we were talking about which, with Chelsea was they that three zero win they had was against Tottenham. Do you, you know, a lot of blame was put on Mourinho, and ultimately he was, you know, essentially sacked. Do you think Mourinho was really the problem, or do you think that that club is kind of in a in a lull right now? I mean they. They uh, started the season off with a a win against, I think it was City, and then they've been in really poor form. I think they they won their first three, lost their last two, but I mean I think everything's Mourinho's fault uh, from from a from a managerial perspective. He he comes in and he gets a lot out of his players. 
uh, for a little while. And then it seems like whatever it is that he does, it only, it only lasts so long. And then it's, I mean, there's, there's that, what is it? Three years for Mourinho. And then it's just, it's, it, there's some kind of epic collapse every, every three years at his yeah. clubs. Obviously Tottenham wasn't that, but it's, I just think it's a Mourinho thing. I don't think Mourinho does well with big personalities. Uh, he has some success with that, but I, I really think that his what he does best is he makes believers out of out of you know the the people that 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 aren't the stars yet. Uh, I think that's I think that's where he's he's best as a manager. He's done that. Uh, I mean, obviously where he got his his recognition with uh, Porto. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, like, then he goes to Real and does big things there or whatever. But when he was at United, United didn't have the team they have now. And he had – did he get them to second one year? I can't even remember. I, I honestly, I can't remember. Yeah. He had one year with United where they had a really strong run – uh, and then I think there was the you know the the stuff with Pogba there. Uh, yeah, I think he just struggles with big personalities, um, and so I I don't know I don't know if if it's definitely down to to Mourinho at, at Tottenham. I think it's possible that it is, and that part of part of the stuff that's going on there now is is down to you know some of the lingering effects. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, was Mourinho the one that was really harsh to Luke Shaw? Uh, I th- I think he was a continuum. I'm pretty sure Van Gaal was was kind of started that trend, okay. but Mur- I think Mourinho kept it <laughs> kept it going. And you know, to your point too. I mean, Mourinho is a big personality, and generally, big personalities don't get along with big personalities. And so if you had anybody on your team that fit that bill, I think you were already going to be looking at some, some potential issues. Right. And so I, I just wonder how many, how much of what's going on at Tottenham now is players that just got frankly beaten down by, by Mourinho, uh, just blows their confidence. Um, I really can't say that I know, enough about it to uh to speak to that but uh, i mean i feel like deli ali is is one of those players he looked super super promising and then completely disappeared yeah. and that's one of those things i think is Mourinho. Yeah. yeah and you you're right uh united finished second behind city in the 17-18 season and lost in the fa cup final to chelsea so yeah moving on from uh i'm Sad that I know that. <laughs> moving on from uh, some of the Premier League action, uh, one of the bigger things that we've seen yesterday for us uh, and then into today was the situation with uh, Messi getting subbed off in the PSG game. So, yeah, Messi did not shake Pochettino's hand and kind of gave him this. Uh, agitated yeah. look as he left the pitch um do you do you think that was warranted i think when when it actually happened during the game they were tied with leon who has not been doing particularly well um this season i think they're middle leon's yeah, middle it was, of the table it was one one uh, but, i actually went back and watched um watched some of that match to see to see what uh, what transpired right before that, and Messi was kind of invisible in that second half. Uh, really, I mean, he he's Messi, so he always can can pull out a moment of quality from nothing. But I I think that I think that Poch was just kind of doing his you know his his best to uh, both protect his player. Uh, because if you, you know, if you come out of that with a draw or a loss and Messi plays the full 90 and he, you know, doesn't do anything, 
I feel like you're, you know, you're leaving them vulnerable to criticism and the uh, Parisians aren't exactly kind to their, to their team. If they're underperforming that they, yeah. they were booing Mbappe. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't, I, if I'm a manager, I wouldn't want, you know, Messi's start to be marred by, you know, three, four games in uh, to have him being whistled and jeered at. So I think that that was part of it was just protecting him. Um, I was listening to something earlier that, that speculated that it was down to uh, uh, just making, you know, making sure that he was staying healthy and, and working on his match fitness or something. And, and that there was a conversation between, uh, Pochettino and Messi on the way out, uh, where the the picture of Messi looking dumbfounded at Pochettino is basically Pochettino telling him like this is for for you like or something, and he was just like I'll tell you when it's for me. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if that's speculation or if that's lip reading or I don't know where exactly that came from. But if that's the case, like I one I understand it from Messi's perspective. He's you know he has earned the right to be able to kind of dictate. Um, what happens, but I also get it from, from the manager's perspective. So I, I think it's much to do about nothing. Uh, they should hopefully be professionals and, and, you know, patch it up, uh, should already be taken care of if, if they're both professionals. Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, I think he's earned the right, but at, at the same time, you know, if you're looking to make a change in your squad and you have a player that's not you know, performing particularly well in a match, which happens with every player from the worst to the best, you know, as a, as a manager, your job is to make changes that are going to change the direction of the game. And, um, Pochettino, I mean, that's, that's what he, uh, was doing as a part of his, his job. So, and when your substitutions lead to a game-winning goal, it's difficult <laughs> yeah, right. to criticize, right, regardless exactly. of who he takes out. He he could have put on he could have put on somebody from their you know U twelve academy or whatever, and and if that player scores a goal, it's hard to it's hard to criticize yeah. that you know it was the wrong thing to do. Well, uh, I wanted to also just briefly shout out uh, Ian Harks, who's United States player, plays for uh, Dundee United in the Scottish Premier League. He uh, scored a, it was a heck of a goal uh, to win it for Dundee United in the Dundee Derby. Um, just cool to see an American uh, doing well. It's awesome to see the crowd go go crazy. So, uh, did you happen to keep tabs on any other Americans? I know John Brooks was uh, on the bench for Wolfsburg over the weekend. Not sure if that was due to um, some lackluster play earlier in the week in, in Champions League play, but that was the big one for me was uh, seeing seeing that John Brooks had not featured um, after what I thought was not stellar uh, performances throughout the the window, yeah. the national team window, um, to then you know go and get the Get the red card. Yep, he got a second yell in the 63rd minute against Lille. So, I guess in the build-up to that, I hadn't been playing particularly well. Uh, we're actually, uh, Serginio Des played today, started for Barcelona. Uh, from what I've from what i read, had a really solid match. I just started off, I think, a little shaky against Granada, but um, I think finished out the game really well i just wish that would translate over to <laughs> u.s men's national team play honestly it what i don't understand about uh, about his performances for for barca are, are the the lack of assists because it seems like it seems like he's doing a very solid job of creating chances he's not creating 10 chances a game but he's creating uh, uh quite a few you know there's there's uh key passes there's 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 good chances created. He's putting either himself or the ball into good positions, and there yeah. is nothing coming from it. So I, I feel like, and I, I mean, I think that's that's 
you know, the one, one today kind of, kind of tells you that, uh, Barca is just not super threatening. And it'll be interesting to see, um, Ronald Koeman, how, how long he can keep that, keep his job afloat. I think, uh, you know, there's talk that, uh, Javi's already said, like, he's already talking about people he would get rid of if he were managing Barcelona. Uh, Dest is, it was one of them that was mentioned that he would offload. So uh, I just don't know how long he keeps things going with mediocre performance, especially since he's at odds with Barcelona's president. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, one of the points you made talked about, like, John Brooks' performance during the qualifiers. I agree. I was not too terribly pressed. I actually thought Tim Ream played very well against El Salvador, you know, and I think he just kind of, nobody gave right. him credit because the overall match was not great, but I thought he was, and he's not, he has, he has good, he, he's had not great games in the build up to that, but then that game was very strong and I just don't think credit was given. And then he sat the rest of it. Yeah. I think something that's really important for our our center backs in particular is that they don't try to do too much as far as, I mean, that, that almost goes across the board for the sport. You don't want to be the center back that's doing too much because when you get caught out, it is incredibly obvious tends to lead to opportunities. Uh, And I feel like that's something that our center backs from the national team perspective are, are not, great about and I'm, I'm sure that that happens across national teams in general because you don't have that that squad knowledge and so if you have a center back that does step up steps up to make a pass carry carry the ball just gets dragged out of position for some reason having a you know holding mid that can drop back and fill that space or just you know uh, rotation of some of some kind to fill that space would be good but I feel like when we see poor uh, center back play on the national team, it's definitely down to down to that. And I, I saw that from John Brooks a lot. I saw him doing trying to do too much and just being caught out of position a lot. Uh, and that's not what I think any of us would expect from somebody like John Brooks because he's he's you know, a, a veteran. I mean. He, he knows the game. He knows positioning. I don't know if that's down to the competition and feeling like, oh, I can do this. I'm a lot better than these guys. I can do this and yeah. getting caught out that way or what. But I feel like I feel like that was part of why Tim Ream looked good is because he didn't try to do too much. He just did the job versus Brooks trying to do a lot and not doing the job. Well, we've uh, we've kind of run out of time. We uh, that went. We t- we talked about it a lot, but I didn't expect it to go that quick. To be honest, <laughs> I yeah, I knew that once we got into the VAR stuff, that that was going to that was going. I mean, it's a big topic. It's a it's a big topic. It's it's really shaping the direction of the sport and how the yeah. game gets played. And I think that getting it right is is imperative to uh, you know to the direction that that this goes. Yeah, well, hopefully um, we can get one or two guys back in the studio next week to, to chat with them. One of the couple of things I do want to talk about in an upcoming episode is we never have really uh, talked a lot yet about this potential for an every other year World Cup, and I'm interested to, to hear the group's thoughts on that. The other thing that we're on the eve of is a major CONCACAF announcement that was uh, – was said today uh, there's a lot there seems to be a lot of confusion because um, they announced um, kind of the, the CCL and so people thought that's what the major announcement was and now they're saying there's another major announcement with uh, the chairman of uh, MLS and the president of uh, League MX so we'll definitely have some good content to talk about uh, next week in addition yeah. to the to the weekend action. So, Jesse, I just wanted to say thanks for joining me again tonight. It's always good to, Thank you for having to me. hang out and talk football. Thank you for listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. 
Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballistic Footy. We're also on Facebook. You can uh, send us an email, ballisticfootball at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call at 317-762-1644. Drop us a line and we'd be happy to, to include your thoughts, topics on the show. Thank you for listening and have a good one.